Season 1, Episode 12 of Six Feet Under, A Private Life is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. That's right, it's the Six Feet Under podcast where we are revisiting the critically acclaimed HBO series episode by episode. My name is Ariel, and here to discuss the privatest of lives with me is my co-host, Dr. Amanda, who won the National Book Award last year. Wow. Oh my goodness. Congratulations to me. I did this is how they this is how you find out, Ariel. What exciting (laughs) news. This is like anytime I podcast with Grace, she's always like uh you know uh, like surprising me on the podcast yes, I've stuff heard that this. she claims that she's mm-hmm. already told me and I never believe it. So yeah. I'm used to it. Amazing that you've been keeping this this secret for me for this whole year <laughs> that I won the national. I had Award. to wait till this episode. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't reveal it ahead of time, even though it's yeah. been a whole year. Mm-hmm. I was like, trying to decide whether I should show up to this podcast as a Scientologist or a young Christian wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you look so. Uh, that's why you have your buttons uh, uh, buttoned up to the very top mm-hmm. today, like Ruth. I'm very proper, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Ruth is my fashion inspiration. I know how to breathe. <laughs> oh my goodness, such a great Ruth episode. Um, yeah. What did you think of this? Was a big one, Ariel. This was a doozy. I left this episode feeling <sighs> quite he- like I had been through an ordeal. Yeah, I. You know, I don't smoke cigarettes, but after I finished this one, I was like, I think I might need one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. Doozy, I think, is a great way of putting it. Um, but the good news is that like Six Feet Under, like a lot of, of these episodes that we've watched, even the the super heavy ones, which just one has a lot of heavy stuff, there are incredibly entertaining moments of levity and and like self you know questioning and you get a lot Mm -hmm. of characters taking a lot of steps forward it's great i was like really impressed with how much happened in this episode Mm -hmm. it feels like uh you know every every character gets a moment and then it makes sense right because we're there we're in the final two now this is the Mm -hmm. second to last the pen ultimate episode as we love ultimate (laughs) six feet under uh season one so wow what about you what do you think um, yeah, I mean, I thought that this was a fantastic episode. Like, I've been kind of keeping track of the episodes in my mind that sort of rise to this threshold of what I think is the best that Six Feet Under has to offer. And The Room was one of these. I think The Foot is also up there. And then mm-hmm. this episode of Private Life, I think, is exceptional. Like you said, it's so packed with important plot moments, but it doesn't feel rushed. It all feels very earned. It feels like we've been on this journey with these characters over the previous 11 episodes that this, um, you know, that this really felt like, uh, like an important, um, an important juncture in all of their stories. So it is amazing that the show manages to fit all of this within an hour and have it work so well. And, you know, this is like, I think it's been said, um, you know, it's been said on poster recaps before, and and this observation's been made by others, obviously. But these like penultimate episodes right before the season finale, I think, um, especially in the HBO prestige world, can tend to be really, really spectacular. So I think that this one really, really delivered. Absolutely, and I think yeah, this is this is definitely their uh, their game of their emotional Game of Thrones oh, equivalent gosh. of like. Yeah. Uh, a lot of insane things happening 
in the second to last episode. So I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. uh, and we would love to get into it. But before we do that, you, if you are listening out there, should subscribe to the feed. If you haven't already, poshercups.com slash six feet under is the URL for your podcast catchers or search Pusher Recap six feet under, six feet under, as the graphic will say. Um, yeah, it's important. It's important for it's important for David for everyone to, to let's support oh my David. Gosh. Subscribe yeah. to the feed. <laughs> yeah. He needs all the help he can get. He really does. But sweet, sweet David has, has come a long way and we're proud of him. Uh, so let's get into the quick plot recap because we want to get into the good stuff, the nitty gritty. Mm. This episode, A Private Life, written by Kate Robin, directed by Rodrigo Garcia. This episode's death hits close to home for David for obvious reasons. Uh, Marcus Foster is the name of the victim. He is uh, unfortunately killed in a horrific homophobic hate crime at just 23 years old. David reckons with his self-hatred through the beaten visage of Marcus Foster. He wants to be out, David does, but he struggles with the potential rejection he might deal with that he's literally been dealing with the entire time. We've known him, frankly, um, and especially after he experiences rejection from Rico, who is pretty disgusted with like that information, knowing his sexuality, and it's crazy because that's the first person that David decides to tell in this like quote unquote family. We'll get to that. Uh, the the hypothetical rejection from his uh, uptight mother, Ruth, sends him spiraling. But uh, meanwhile, Ruth, speaking of, thinks that David is tense. <laughs> As it says here, let me repeat that. Ruth thinks David <laughs> is too tense. She knows he is gay as we have like, as you and I have talked about this like, guessing game slash she she knows the information she's been told just like david right the parallel between david and his dad that you'll talk about later ruth here has heard the information from someone else but she really wants to hear it uh selfishly but understandably from from uh david himself uh, she doesn't know how to let him know that she accepts him regardless of his sexuality she goes so far as to pick the brain of co-worker Robbie this is incredible amazing on how he came out to his parents his uh his his words strike right at her heart he says my mother was one of those women that never did anything but raised children so if you came out quote-unquote wrong her whole life is a failure when David finally does come out to her at the end of the episode, she's angry that it took him so long as she takes it an ins as an insult to her as a mother. But uh, I think I think overall they have a, a, a sweet moment, but it's complicated. We'll get to it. Their relationship isn't the only one suffering, though, Oof. as Brenda calls it quits with Nate after he fails to see the massive step forward she took in her relationship with Billy by demanding her housekeeping from him and, you know, telling him that he's on his own. It gets worse, though, for Nate, even kind of outside of Brenda, when he is tricked into entering Billy's house of horrors framed as an art installation. We knew that he could put on an uh, art installation wow. gallery show, but... This is his real Michael. I know. If you thought that the Nate pissing on the wall was uh, was was a triumph, wait until you see what he does next. <laughs> wait until you see the picture of Nate in this installation. Uh, Billy taunts Nate as we're talking about with photos of Claire, both uh, Claire by herself and Billy with Claire, 
and obviously of, of Nate and Brenda having sex. At this point, that's so passe, like Billy sneaking into whatever room Brenda happens to be sleeping in, regardless of what city it's in, mm -hmm. and uh, just taking pictures. That's so, that's so blasé for Billy. <laughs> Luckily, uh, Billy, uh, well, not luckily this part, but once Billy does procure a knife, Nate is able to calm him down by saying that his relationship with Brenda has ended and Billy is no longer in, uh, is no longer threatened and no need to be so possessive. Brenda oof, isn't so lucky when Billy shows up at her apartment having literally sliced, or I guess in Game of Thrones parlance, flayed uh, the, the skin containing the tattoo off of his back. And then he wants to do the same to her, which is uh, horrific and monstrous. Brenda is able to outmaneuver him and uh, he falls to the ground semi-unconscious and she safely gets into the hospital where she makes the very difficult but understandable decision to have him committed. Lastly, Claire, our wonderful girl Claire, is still taking care of Gabe, who has returned to school and must deal with you know the whispers of his hospitalization in the hall we know how high school can be claire possibly the wisest fisher tells her guidance counselor that death and silence follow her around uh she says burying someone is the most sensitive time in a person's life so it's like my family they're so careful it's like they become invisible so crazy deep and depressing and profound her and gabe admit their fears about their relationship and uh but unlike the other fishers she gets a happy ending possibly in more ways than one yes. <laughs> thank you jess they're children jess they're children <laughs> they're children but they're you know they're informed children at least at least claire is probably not gabe um so where should we start i feel like it's a lot of it's a lot of david and ruth but mm -hmm. i kind of want to save that yeah let's save let's save that let's talk about um let's talk about what happens with brenda and billy in this episode yeah um so you know brenda is, is is trying certainly early on the episode she's doing like her version of a step forward right like similarly to to david who takes steps forward and even claire and ruth in different ways brenda you know decides that this is too much with the pitch you know she shows him the pictures of shows Billy the pictures that he took in Vegas. And she's mm -hmm. like, okay, you've crossed the line. So you need to give me your key. And Billy has a not already. He's having like a pretty negative reaction to this. Yeah. Yeah. Like what Brenda's doing is she's trying to draw some boundaries mm -hmm. here. And it's like in the kind of like, like you said, it's a step forward, but you know, maybe it's, you know, it's not clear whether it's enough at this point. She wants to, um, she wants to have her key back. She doesn't want him coming in. She's like pointing out that this was like a line that he crossed in um in in following them to to Vegas. Um, he like responds really really badly. He says like she's turning into mom. He calls her a bitch. Um, and then he says, you know, it would be really easy to break into this place. He's like showing all of the signs of desperation. Um, it's it's. I think that, you know, Billy is such a kind of, he's presented as so scary and like, we don't know what he's capable of. I do want to point out that like, 
this is not what people with bipolar disorder by and large are like. Like, obviously, there's um, there are uh, aspects of Billy's presentation that are consistent with bipolar disorder. It is important to stay on your medication. People can get paranoid and possessive and all of those things. But I don't like the way that Billy is like very, very dangerous. And like Nate calls him a psycho. Like, I just don't want to give the impression that this is a um you know I, I this could be this could be a person with bipolar disorder but this is like this kind of like violent and um threatening behavior is not necessarily part of the presentation at all and probably speaks more to other aspects of what billy is like rather than just the fact that he has bipolar disorder but they do make billy i think such a um such a malevolent character and a malevolent yeah. force in Brenda's life that I do um I do sort of look for the moments in the show where they show where they feature his humanity and his desperation and his sadness more because like yeah. I thought that there's something like that is kind of like relatable about like he's alone and if Brenda cuts him out I think he feels desperate and terrified. Um, and we see him do that. And again, like I've talked about in the last episode about how like the overtones of like an abusive romantic relationship, I think are yeah. much more consistent with what we see than what we would necessarily expect from brother and sister, which is like part of, I think what makes the show sensationalist in a way that's like, you know, interesting and entertaining to watch um but he becomes really possessive he kind of threatens that he's going to break in um and brenda feels like she's done this big momentous thing in drawing this line and taking the key from billy and like saying that there's a boundary um but like nate is just like that's not enough like we need a restraining order like he's like nate (sighs) nate's reaction it's like i struggle with because on the Mm -hmm. one hand everything he says is like very understandable and he's he's not wrong about anything and like his worst fears end up playing out but it also does seem like you know brenda says this is so not how i need you to be right now yeah and it is clear that like yes like maybe brenda needs a little bit of tough love because her life could be in danger here but it also feels like nate is 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 sort of not exactly being sensitive enough to just how hard all of this is on her yeah no i completely agree with all of that i mean first to the to the billy point i i do think even even for me someone who isn't you know an uh an, an expert in in brain things like you are like it just it seems like some of the some of the stuff is you know i think today we would call it pretty like like irresponsible some of the yeah. representations that we get yes. from billy but to your point also ultimately like it is it is about entertainment but i think the malevolence that you're talking about is like the big thing that just feels um if it feels very fictional like we need this person to be this this force in this story Mm -hmm. um so there's you know there's a fine line that they're trying to to walk there that i don't think they do 
uh, always like I would love somebody to even just point out and say like, well, this is not because Billy is bipolar. Yeah, like, right, it's like, right. Like, it's the, like the yes, very, he is bipolar and he yeah. should take his medicine, but this is not just because he's bipolar. This is also right. because of something like this is criminality is a different thing. Right, right, right. Like we can't account for like every single instance of what has ever happened in the world, but like we mm -hmm. can look at what is uh, statistically and and you know. Uh, it tends to be realistic as far as what yeah. happens in these situations. And it does seem like there's, you know, there's always the personality component, regardless of whether someone has been, you know, diagnosed with something or mm -hmm. not. Um, but to the, to the point about Nate and Brenda, it is that classic thing of like, Nate can't get out of his way a little bit. Like he, he can, he can be saying all the same things that he is saying here of like not wanting to lose the the immediacy and the urgency of like this mm -hmm. thing that he's feeling to protect himself but like honestly also he does genuinely worry about brenda but in the moment he definitely needs to be more sensitive about it and especially after she literally lays it out for him she's like i need you to not be this way right mm -hmm. now and like that's when you take a step back and, i mean at that point she's kind of like already out halfway out the door anyway but you really need to say take a step back uh, take a step back and check in on her like she's the one yes billy is the thing that we're talking about but she is the one having to deal with the emotional fallout of it and you need to be sensitive to that and it doesn't take a lot even if you're faking it nate in the moment to be like Just, yeah i'm so sorry like i want to hear about what you're feeling this must be so hard for you but like instead he's doubling down on like the no no don't let him get back in like treating her like she's a child in a way like she's going to get fooled by billy again when it's you're supposed to be on the team with her right you're supposed to be like equals as a couple in this thing to to you know protect each other but also in a way she she does still want to protect billy even though he's being yeah. weird like he nate is taking the stance more of like let's just cut him out completely and never talk to him again ostensibly even though he never says that but like for brenda it's way more complicated and if nate does really want to be in her life for a while this is something that in regardless of how small a way they're gonna be having to deal with kind of right. forever and it does like and i you know at one point you know brenda says do you even get the concept of loving someone that much and nate's like uh yeah i'm i'm aware <laughs> like and so <laughs> so brenda is like again like she's she's not showing a lot of empathy for nate in this situation but it's like i think that the thing that i i mean and the, and and you know, this is I I watched this, you know, when it originally aired, and I think I had much less sympathy for Nate in my original watch than I did on the rewatch, where I was like, okay, everything he's saying making sense and I get it. But I think that the thing with Nate, and I've called him a butthead, and I really think that's the best description of Nate I think Fisher. of you often when I'm watching Nate and he's being a butthead. I'm he's like, there he is again. He's, he's a butthead. Such a butthead. But I do feel like there's a way that his tone and the things that he says, like reveal a selfishness that like if he had yeah. it his way billy would disappear and it's like yeah. like that that's like that that's the agenda it's like billy has to be out of the picture and then it's just brenda and i and we have our happy life together but and like, this is like his opportunity this to is get his that. opportunity and that's never going to work for brenda and it's like he has to acknowledge that like that that Billy is part of Brenda's life and she wants good things for him and she doesn't want to lose him 
forever and that like his kind of tough love about this cannot be working towards the end of eliminating Billy from the picture, at least at this point, like at least at this point when it's not clear that he is definitely a threat and that he's getting the best care that he can. It's like he needs to approach this a different way. So I do feel like that's an undercurrent in everything that Nate says to Brenda. And that's like ultimately what sets her off and like what makes her push him away. And then I feel like Nate is like so funny in his phone message that he leaves to her. Yes. I was just about to say this. This is exactly He's like, pick up the phone. And it's hilarious because we know like in the context of Nate has been there with her when she's like screening Billy's calls and like not, you know, not Mm -hmm. picking up. So he's kind of, you know, reacting to that in a way. And he says, uh, pick up the phone. I'm sorry. I pissed you off. I just wrote in all caps, not an apology. No, no. It's like, I'm sorry. I pissed you off. I know you're under a lot of pressure, but so am I. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how my experience with Billy is equal to your experience and just as important. And it's also like, he's like, I'm under a lot of pressure too. And on the table is his like funeral director's test. And I'm just like, (laughs) give me a break, Nate. (laughs) It's pretty hilarious. Um, But what isn't hilarious is the phone call that he gets. Oh, and to your point about the funeral directors, it is this like really funny moment before this horrible thing happens with Billy, where he's like, "Yeah, we can come get the body, uh, the the deceased." He like catches him. (laughs) He's just like, "I just, I just read that part in my study booklet." (laughs) Right, it's on page six. Hopefully, it's on page one. Um, the and then you know, I guess Billy, you know, changed his voice. I don't know. Who knows? We don't hear that part of it, but someone calls. And Nate goes to what I called the effed up museum of sexual memories. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's just like our horrible literal nightmare fuel. Mm. Um, and it's just, you know, going through the season basically. Like when Billy yeah. was with was with uh Claire and then the the very uh private and not at all consent given uh, to take the photo of Nate literally having sex with right. Brenda. And this also speaks to, though, that this is not just bipolar disorder. This is not somebody doing something impulsive in the yeah. heat of a an episode. Like, he has been gathering these tri- – like, he's been building to – like, we we said, oh, he's what, – what is he doing with Claire? Why is he taking these pictures? Mm-hmm. It's This has been a premeditated, longstanding – um obsession of his that he has been working towards um and yeah he sets this up this is terrifying um you know and it's like it's not just the fact that he has these pictures it's also the insinuation that this means that like billy is all up in nate's life when he's not aware of it that he has no control he has no safety he has no boundaries no privacy in terms of this private life notion um and then there's that picture of billy on the wall can't he he must have gotten brenda's he must have gone with brenda to um yankee candle on their trip to the mall because he also has lots of candles <laughs> candles all over the some place. of those smell horrible they're probably mm. from bath and body works yes um but uh amanda did you know that if you mix up the letters in funeral you get real fun <laughs> 
I did not know that. That is pretty clever. That, that, I had to that, pause it to make sure it was you true. Checked. Oh, you checked. <laughs> Should we stop down on the podcast right now so that our so that our listen? In my defense, I didn't have to write it down. I was able to do the mental gymnastics to move the letters around. Well, we're not as gifted as the Chenoweths are, Ariel. So <laughs> yeah, nobody's, clearly, nobody's giving us scholarships to Yale. I don't have the eye that uh, that Billy seems to have. Um, but yeah, he lays himself on this bed like making it seem like he has uh you know taken his own life and then yeah. he it says you did this to yourself 2001 like and you know he has all the other dates on it's but it's like the question i think is like at this point you're like is this is this billy's is this funeral billy, or is this know. nate's funeral yeah right like you've come this felt very like dexter the show mm-hmm. dexter like with michael c hall who plays david mm-hmm. um this is something that you would have seen on that show and um yeah it's it's not great this is this is billy's like magnum opus that he like to your point that he's been that he's been uh uh building towards but then he wants to like play it cool in a way like he gets up and he he this I think this is what makes Billy feel the most malevolent in some way that like he does this thing and then when he props up out of bed he's not immediately like trying to intimidate Nate mm-hmm. it's more just like hey what's up buddy isn't this like kind of funny or whatever and you know he says the thing about the funeral and real fun like I said and it's um that I think that's like the most disturbing part of like him being uh not quite emotionally in tune with the moment that he's in, mm-hmm. or in this case, the moment that he has literally created. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, Um, I mean, it's a sense of danger where he's unpredictable. It's like, it seems really scary. And then he's acting more jovial. And I think like, and he's holding the box cutter at some point. And then Nate is acutely aware that he just needs to get out of this situation. We mm-hmm. also find out, that the bomb that we learned about a few episodes ago was intended for Brenda's then boyfriend, Trevor. Um, of course, and, his name was Trevor. Of course, very every they they were all named Trevor in the mid nineties. Ariel, <laughs> they all were. It was a time you had to be there. You had to be there. You, you had to know all the Trevors that were going to Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, Nate Nate says, Oh, what's a what is it? Brenda's not allowed to love anyone as much as you. And and Billy says, not able. She's not able to yeah. love anyone as much as me. Um, and Nate finally extracts himself from the situation by telling Billy that they broke up and that, you know, and kind of that immediately sort of disarms Billy. And Nate uses that as an opportunity to get out of there. But He's like, like anyway, <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> Great catching up. Nice artwork. See you around. Good luck with your next. It's been real. It's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. I have to get to a real fun. I mean, a funeral. (laughs) Billy, Billy, Billy. Um, And then, you know, Nate, of course, goes to uh, goes to talk to Brenda about it, even though she you know, hadn't been wanting to talk to him before that, but obviously these are extreme circumstances. And he asks her about Trevor and this is like him being, you know, his his words and his tone are not unkind, but this is a little bit of him being a butthead again. Like, he's like, Oh, why didn't you tell me about him? Like, Oh, I'm sorry that I didn't get into like the 50th footnote in that horrible time in my life. And like all these things that happened. 
But again, it's like, you know, she's not okay. And like, he's, he's, I think his intentions are good. And he's not like, he's not necessarily getting at the wrong thing, but he's not saying it right. Like he says, do you want, do you want to see someone? And she's like, well now, oh, now I'm crazy. Um, you know, and he's like, well, and then she pushes him away and then he's like, fine, go to sleep then. And he storms out. Like, it just feels very much like his agenda is like to get Billy out of the picture, to have Brenda back on his, like to have him and Brenda get back together. And it's like, for her, this isn't about her relationship with Nate right now, even though I think that's hard for Nate to, to, to take. It's like, this is her life and death. This is her brother's life and death. This is like one of the most important relationships that she's had. And it does feel like Nate is kind of failing to recognize that moment, but I think he's doing it out of, you know, genuine terror. He's not used to dealing with people like Billy. And I think he has every right to be afraid. Yeah. And I think um, he's, you know, he, and obviously he's in the way that he's cared for himself. He now sees, I think in a different way, what Billy is capable of. And that of course is just making him more concerned for Brenda um but brenda is this was to me like very um uh like reminiscent of of a kind of depression that i have been familiar with of just like this this really harrowing things has happened Mm -hmm. and i just want to go to sleep like i need like my i need my body to literally shut uh well maybe not shut down but like you know temporarily shut off um and uh like this reset and that that to me felt like so human and so just like speaking to the how overwhelmed she is with all these emotions and obviously it's triggering historically and all these things are kind of history is seemingly repeating itself for her which is really scary to think about and then also she has moved past it perhaps she thought she had and now everything is just so messy and she literally is is can't breathe in a way you yeah know, like and she can't underwater. take and she can't take care of nate right now and so it's like nate's there to take care of her exactly. he's yeah. not doing that and yeah. she can't make him feel better about it so no. like i do feel like this is you know that it's it's not terrible like like but he it, it but 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 nate's not really reading the room. And then like, I love the conversation that Nate has with Ruth where, you know, when they're doing the dishes and he's like, I finally find a woman I'm ready to commit to. And she makes it impossible. And Ruth's like, huh, do you think that that's a coincidence? <laughs> Ruth just being savage with the commentary. I love it. Yeah, and so they- while she's tasting the sauce, she's well, like, I need t- more garlic. I love how dinner, dinner, the dinner agenda is always like, like mm-hmm. later in this episode, she's like, and by the way, we're having veal. We're today. having veal. Yeah, she works for big dinner. She yeah. will not, she will not let the, the dinner. The big agenda. dinner agenda. <laughs> Except for when she got the call that Nate Senior was dead. Every other time dinner comes first. Right. <laughs> Listen, sometimes it's just too extreme and she had to throw the dinner on the ground yeah. uh, at that point. But, this but Nate is... blames Ruth for like his problems with women you know she tells him like oh you're you've never been interested in the women that are attainable you always like pursue these kinds of relationships and fascinated with the ones yeah who couldn't and then but she takes fault is that mom (laughs) he says oh my goodness that's not great this and you know to uh i don't i hesitate to even say the phrase to his credit it's more like to his 
to the fact that he's still human like this is a very human response of like don't don't call me out on my shit like how dare you i'm gonna like throw it back at you and especially with the parent like we all know in our own way like how emotionally complicated mm -hmm. and confusing that can be when you're trying to have like a linear conversation with a parent or family member and there's just all these other things taking you off the path and distracting mm -hmm. you and then you have an emotional reaction like he did in that moment um but uh she she tries to ask him about david and uh she's like david's gay isn't he and he you know nate does the right thing and he says that's a question for him like it's you know david is not or nate is not gonna not gonna out his brother um but she says it's not good for a person to skulk around like that he's very he's very tense <laughs> nate tells her to breathe and she's like i know how to breathe <laughs> And, and we know her. that she knows how to breathe. She just we learned. we she watched went, her learn. Does Nate have diploma from flower school? Yeah. <laughs> Nate has no diploma from anywhere because he can't pass his. No, he test. really can't. So um, don't tell Ruth how to breathe. No, God this is hilarious. She has the diploma to prove it. This was this felt like such an effective, hilarious. Like it's almost like an in joke that like mm -hmm. we have with her as an audience because we, like you said, we saw her learn how to breathe just like like an hour ago basically in real time and and it's like no that's a sore subject how dare it and it's very interesting because i think there are a lot of ways in which ruth is a child coming yes. out or like coming out of a certain childlike part of her life and she's becoming aware of herself learning and her new things at the age and of 52 years and old yes. and that's so beautiful we genuinely we genuinely genuinely He's learning stand. about flowers at the <laughs> old age but there's a really funny and realistic component to that of like the way children like i just you know they don't like when you repeat things to them they don't like when you're mm -hmm. when you're telling them something that they already know because they're always fighting what like they perceive your image is of them like that mm -hmm. they're that they're lesser so the way that she very quickly is like i know how to breathe it's like ruth you're getting so big like, oh, we're so fighting proud. for herself well we're i would so love proud. to like I, and you know and then by the end of this episode just to finish the billy plot line you know Brenda, like, thank goodness, Brenda, uh, you know, is like as strong and capable as she is because she's able to disarm Billy. Um, mm. She eventually, you know, gets him. She calls the ambulance because he's bleeding and because he's also in a cute psychiatric distress. And she's going to have him um, committed at this point, which is like clearly the only, you know, the only reasonable call she could possibly make. And, you know, yeah. of course, Nate's going to come back to support her by the end of this episode. So um, a really harrowing ordeal for both of them. But to get back to like Ruth and to bring it into David's storyline, um, I really felt very touched in this episode about like, I think that part of this story um this that the the message of this episode starting with the funeral at the center of it and with david's story is like and even with robbie's story i feel like part of this is that you know the message is that like parents are probably like more capable of accepting and like growing like than than their ch adult children might give them credit for. Yeah. And we can talk about like how, I mean, the 
The, I think that my favorite scene of this episode is when David comes out to Ruth. And I thought that scene was yeah. so beautiful and touching and so funny. Like, yeah. it's so funny, her reaction to immediately be so defensive. And she's not responding in the best way. But it's all very human. And I mm -hmm. do feel like there's a message here about how we need to give the people we love like more credit for mm -hmm. being able to accept things than, than we might be, than we might be willing to. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, it's very, that scene was very, very touching, very human. Like you said, I totally agree. I think, you know, I have, I have some personal experience with this kind of thing. So it's always like you have the version in your head, like you do with anything, but particular in this, particularly in this very emotionally heightened situation, you have the, the different ways that it's going to play out possibly in your head, the different iterations of what you consider are possible. And it never quite lines up mm -hmm. because the other person is a complete human being separate from you and have has their own reality and is going to have their own you know either positive or negative or neutral or whatever response and i think your point of like ruth's response being in some ways really hilarious in some ways warm in some ways like slightly um i was gonna say, no attacking is too severe a word like slightly confrontational yes definitely but, confrontational but in a way like i think ultimately because i think normally with ruth there are a lot of confrontations quote unquote that end very suddenly like she says something yeah. you know like i know how to breathe or whatever and then very quickly she walks away or the conversation just kind of dies and in this moment when she says like these confrontational things they're still sitting with it. They're still like talking to each other and and she's asking the question. She's not just like making a statement. Um, she says, uh, you know, uh, well, he says that you, you know, you may be trying to be open now, mm -hmm. but that's not how you've always been all my life, which is such a sad statement in a way, yeah. but like very honest of him to say that and to like paint that like you know paint that brush of like his of what his life has been like and not again similar to Ruth like not unkind just very yeah. matter of fact like this is this is not who we are we're not like that besides Nate and that's just because he has no other way to distinguish himself. I love that line I love that incredible line. incredible <laughs> No, this show like really gets its characters. I think and that's like why these lines could be like so funny and also so heartwarming. Yeah, I mean, this whole conversation and this like I was so proud of both of them because like mm -hmm. there's a earlier scene where they're like having dinner together and she's and, and they're both kind of dancing around this. And, you know, Ruth is like, so what do you know about the the funeral? Like, how did he die? And David's like, well, did it, you read the paper? And then she's like, are you going out? To, like, it's like they're both like, yeah. they're having like a repression off. Like yeah. they're both trying. And then she says to him, she's like, yeah, but I thought you might know more about it, mm -hmm. which is like so accusatory. Yes. And we know what she's getting at, but it's like a little bit too... Um, it, there's a little bit too much edge to that statement that, right. you know, is, is, is not. 
it's not just accusatory. Like there's a way to say that. It'd be like, well, I thought you might know more about that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a friendly version of that, but this is very much like, I know the truth and, and you're doing something like wrong by not telling me. And you can see why David would be on the back foot about this because it's like, you're, it's almost like Ruth has been, and this comes out like Ruth has been demanding that he come clean about something and like, and that, that, that it's like he had, it's the, that, that it's, you know, her right to know this. And she's demanding that he share this with her in a way that's like, it's his to tell when he's comfortable with it in the way he wants to share it. Um, But, you know, Ruth also knows her son because she knows herself. And it's like the skulking around not being good for you. Like, oh, I wonder how Ruth knows about skulking around. (laughs) If she has any personal experience with that. So, like, I do think that it's loving that she's trying to create a situation where maybe he will share in her own limited way. And then they have this conversation, which I thought was so touching about, like, loving parts of somebody and like you don't get to choose which part of which part somebody you love like which parts are her son and you know david says i know you love the part of me that's your son but you don't know me very well Mm. which i think is true but maybe less true than david appreciates like i think that she probably does know him a little bit better than he's aware of and i love she's like well whose fault is well, that whose fault is that again like the very like the very ruth reaction rearing mm-hmm. its ugly head but she doesn't you know she doesn't walk away she doesn't disengage and she even i think in that moment apologizes she's like okay okay, okay. that was mm-hmm. that was a little too much ruth let's let's bring it back down um and he says this is this is like gut-wrenching uh in, in reference to like the way that she looks at him mm-hmm. uh, that part of him um like you're willing to look at something horrible, like a corpse, something that you have to look at, have to love. And she says, you don't revolt me. I don't choose what part of you to love. Like some kind of chicken. Like some kind of chicken. I love this line. I think this is so funny and so unexpected. Like, like, it's like, okay, like I love, I love like the breast meat and the mm-hmm. drunk yeah. <laughs> But I hate the liver. Like right. I don't know. <laughs> the giblets. The giblets. Ugh, I have to look at the giblets now. But it's yeah, it is not. it is sweet because I do think Ruth is saying, I love you. I love all of you. This isn't horrible. But then the other thing, which I think is hard for David, and this is very much ties back to the theme of this episode, is it's it's I, you know, and I, and I don't speak to this from any, you know, personal experience with this, but I feel like in these stories, we see this combination of, I'm not personally comfortable with this thing about you. And also because I'm not comfortable for about with it. And also because I understand these other things about the world, I'm also afraid for you. And it's like this combination of personal discomfort and concern. And I think that they get conflated and they get like used in different ways. And it's like, and this is what Ruth says now, like, you know, I just don't know how to take care of you anymore, given this part of your life. Yeah, this is uh yeah, this is this is heavy. I think for sure what you said you've hit the nail on the head as far as like it is a very very specific, nuanced, complicated emotional reality to kind of have to negotiate even just within the consi- confines of this conversation, let alone their relationship going forward. Mm-hmm. And like the idea of you like transmitting this message which you have 
been trying in some way. I mean, arguably, David was never trying, but I think he was trying in his own way, certainly more recently to like to come out and then for it to finally happen. And then it's like, you don't know how it's going to be met. And it's it is it is deeply, deeply uncomfortable, I think. And you're worried, like on the one hand, you're like girding yourself against the possibility of what you have perceived as worst case scenario, but then also still hopeful that like you'll be accepted and that mm. that you know she'll that she, that you will hear some version of what she says essentially, right? It's like I love you no matter what. Now you're not some kind of chicken. Um but it's it's really hard. Like this the the stuff with um you know the worry like that's something that like I went through very very uh specifically of like when I came out and it was like there was a very complicated emotional reaction on the other side and uh not an unkind one but then it ultimately came down to like the 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 ultimate takeaway in that moment was like I love you no matter what but I'm worried for you and yeah. I'm scared for you and like that that understanding of or that like I think the fear is on the other side on the 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 parental side or the family side of it of like you are going through something that uh or you you have identified a part of yourself and you're living in a reality that I that I support I support you and I love you but that I have a fundamental inability to understand yeah. and and to really uh appreciate the 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 complications of and especially when you're talking about like this older generation mm -hmm. of like Ruth and certain people and Robbie also in mm -hmm. a, in a way like is touching on this of like we don't talk about these things it's like what Rico said we don't talk about yeah. these things those things occur in private and for you to bring it into a conversation let alone into like the forefront of your personality is somehow an affront to this system mm -hmm. that we have built it's horrible and yeah. it's unfortunately very realistic and i i'm really happy for david that ultimately this is this was a positive outcome and this is and it is only because what makes this episode to what you and i have both been talking about and monitoring along the way like we've watched these characters grow and it's been it's so lovely to see these two characters have grown separately yeah, yeah. on a parallel path mm -hmm. and then able to meet each other here at this point and really hear each other understand each other appreciate each other's struggles it was messy like we said but like it was it was great and the and the line that they leave it of like he says you have to let me take care of myself and she says but do you? I'm yeah. afraid that you don't. And that's yeah. so harrowing and like mm -hmm. honest. And like, I'm not a mother, but I can only imagine how yeah. that extends of like all that, no matter what you're telling me, all I want is the best for you. And I want you yeah. at all times to be safe. Yeah. She says it was so much easier when you were little and I could always make you feel better. And it's yeah. that's, you know, and this is something I mean, like at now being a parent and watching this and like, I do have this like extra layer of empathy for Ruth because like obviously my kids are not you know in this stage of life yet like I right. still there's still the little kids that Ruth can comfort but it's like yeah. that's you know I do have fear for when they get to a 
point where I have to let them fully take care of themselves. And what do you do when she recognizes that David might not be, he might not be happy. And the other part of David's story in this episode, which is also just intimately woven into this, this theme is the way that he deals with the, um, with the deceased, with Marcus Foster Jr. And that internalized um that internalized self-loathing that he comes to represent for david and i'll you know mention yeah. that in 2001 this was just a few years after the matthew shepherd murder um so this was like yeah. i think um in in the zeitgeist these hate crimes um mm-hmm. And this is obviously something that to David, you know, in the end, when he's still left with this ghost that's haunting him after the burial, um, you know, what what the ghost says to him basically is you could come out to like a hundred million moms like there will still be people like I'll still be dead like that that even though maybe like that there's this other layer that like I think that you know we talked about this about how Nate Fisher senior and even in this episode Ruth is like David is actually assigning some of his own discomfort with his lifestyle to his parents. Yes. And like just having Ruth accept him is not going to take away the part of him that feels ashamed (sighs) of who he is. And like he tried to absolve that, but, but Marcus is still there on his shoulder saying you're an abomination. You're going to hell um, because he believes that like, and he shares that even with Keith. It's like, you know, you're a good person, but I still feel like this is not what I want to be. I want to be someone else. Yeah. He's like, it's for me. He says, for me, it's like, I agree with them. Like I need to fix it. And he even says, I feel like my father would hate me if he knew. And and Keith asked like the most relevant question was like, but didn't you say that he did know? And David like still can't really reconcile that with his reality. Mm-hmm. Like he's still living in the like closeted world as far yeah. as his relationship with his dad that he was in for like his entire life. Um, and the part that you're talking about at the end where he's talking to, uh, you know, this ghost that is haunting him that I agree is mostly just like, himself reflecting back at him like i always think like the the nathaniel senior is like my big exception of like i think that's in a way like the other side quote unquote making uh trying to like you know make a connection or send a message for the most part all these other characters always seem very much to be like reflecting what these people are, are either their worst fears or you know their worries whatever um this is this is horrible to hear him say you know, no matter what happens, there will always be more people who hate us than love us. Like Mm -hmm. that is the, that is the absolute worst fear, you know, for a lot of people. And, and to see him, like, I will get to the hopeful note in a second that I think is the most important takeaway for me, but like to see him just collapse on the floor at the end and like turn to something that he very genuinely, even though, even, even though in that case with the church, he's, he has a different kind of complicated relationship when it comes to sexuality. I think for sure it is something that he genuinely, um, you know, seeks solace in and like gets some form of, 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 you know, of love and acceptance that he doesn't feel for himself, that he feels like God might grant him. Um, But I think the important part to remember is what he says to Ruth when she asks him about, is he taking care of himself? And she says, but do you? And he says, I do. And then he, he, 
he changes it to I will. I will like yeah. there's a new beginning there. It's there's like a new beginning. Yes. So he's we're taking hoping. We're steps. All yeah. Again, like with David, I do think it's like again that like confluence of like he's not comfortable with himself, and he also sees that there are real threats in the world because other people aren't comfortable with his lifestyle. But like yeah. some of it is like Keith says, he's like, you could be the guy in church with a baby on your knee, but you decided to go to the homophobic church instead of the right. like it's like he could have more, and he's the one who's holding himself back, and like it's not to say that the threats that he recognizes aren't real but it is to say that like he's choosing to live in that world he's choosing to side agree with them like you know agree with the people who are protesting at the funeral um but good good for david slinging some punches at that some punches yeah and similarly in his conversation with rico he won't be silenced he said Mm -hmm. i'm a i'm still a man like you don't get to decide that i'm not a man just because i don't fit whatever nonsensical patriarchal repressed version uh that you had in your family um, this was a so, tough look for Rico. I, I know. Just I know. I want to say I was like so high on Rico. And then I was like, even at the beginning of this episode, I was like, oh, he's such a good daddy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's so cute. And then I was like, oh, Rico's canceled. Now that we're mentioning Rico, though, in the beginning, I do just briefly want to, want to shout out Vanessa, who, mm-hmm. you know, she has brought the baby over and, you know, she understands that it's it certainly seems like it's way more important to Rico for them to be the baby than it is for yeah. Vanessa. She could, like, you know, care one way, care less one way or the other. But um, which I laughed so hard when David, like, doesn't want to come see the baby. Yeah, and yeah. David, and Vanessa's like, I please, David, come see the baby. Just come take. She says, come take one look at him. Like, he won't. He doesn't. It's like, not only will he not behold the baby, like, he doesn't even come within, like, 12 feet of the baby. Please. Like, she's just like so over his bullshit. She sees through him immediately. So like, just look at the baby. Oh. Oh, I love Vanessa. But yeah, Rico pre canceled. Rico, Rico's canceled. I'm sorry. We're putting him on the list. No. Nope. Yeah, I take back everything I said about making partner. Yeah. <laughs> we cannot have this homophobic person. I'm out. I need to see the notes app apology from Rico. <laughs> right. I don't, and I don't want to hear just, I'm sorry that I made you feel shitty or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I have to say, though, Ruth and Robbie, I think, are probably my new favorite pairing. Like, they were hilarious together. Yes. The, like, I love how when Robbie tells Ruth that, like, I don't keep my, I like, he's like, I don't ask you intimate, intimate details about your sexual life, even though it's on full display in the <laughs> workplace. Full display. I was like, yes, Robbie, get her. <laughs> It's so it's like you literally have a workplace of three and (laughs) 66% of your workforce is engaged in Mm. like a a sexual or at least emotional, you know, tryst. And you're just like the other 33% over here trying to get your flowers arranged, being punished for not in a way, right? Being punished mm-hmm. for not uh, having the interests of Nikolai. Right, like he has exactly. Not, you know, he's flower arranging. So he's he has every reason to be to be annoyed. But I love the evolution, to your point, of like their conversations. Because at first, I do love him. Because I think also, not only does Ruth want this, but I think as the viewer, you think 
the show is playing with your expectation. You think that like the minute Claire, uh, the minute Ruth mentions, you know, the thing about her kid, you know, wanting mm -hmm. to know about his sexuality, that he's just going to like open up. And like, there's so many storylines before this, certainly at this time in the world of like, oh yes, of course, I will tell you all my intimate details and be yeah. like this, you know, gay guru for you to like seek all this information from. But the reality is he's not interested. He's no. like the way he says, and it's none of your business like the way he just keeps repeating it um, he says save it for Geraldo <laughs> save it for Geraldo I love it he's so funny but then like the moment that Ruth starts to tell him about like sleeping with Hiram and learning to masturbate at 52 years old he is sad he's the like not way this. he just immediately drops everything and comes to sit next to her he is a walking meme in that moment he's like <laughs> yes spill the tea I am here for this so effing funny oh. he like puts his hand on like his Angela would have loved this story too <laughs> we should have brought Angela her Mr. Calling. she should have ended up at this I would watch the TV show of Angela and Robbie up and to their Ruth. flower shop antics. We're <laughs> on Geraldo. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, yeah, but this was, I, I thought that this was a really, really funny, cute um, exchange here between the two of them. And like, I look forward to more Robbie on the show. Yeah. And like, he finally, you know, like you said, he finally does open up and like the sad truth that's revealed mm -hmm. of like, he never came out. To his, I think he calls her Cookie or Sweetie. He's like, because I never did cupcake. That's yeah, what he says. Yeah, um, a, child a child knows, knows what his parents need him to be. That is so deep and true and yeah. awful to hear. Like that you would think that. I mean, I think in some cases you, for sure, there's a way in which that's true. But yes. also to your point that you said before, so beautifully, like you have to give your parents a chance. They might fall flat. They might. They might be exactly really disappointing. What, they right. might be horrible. They might be the worst version yeah. of themselves that you suspect them to be. But you have to give them a chance because everything else is just speculation. Yeah. And to be clear, this is way easier said than done. And I know that from personal experience. Yeah. And Ruth says, like, you know, he says that his mother, like, would it would have, you know, it would have destroyed her. Mm -hmm. And we have all of these allusions to how fragile Ruth is. And like, and Ruth says, like, I'm not like that. And it's, of course, she is like that but mm -hmm. ruth can grow and maybe she's Robbie's trying not to be she's trying not to be and it's like she needs it's a two-way street she and david both need to work on this even though yeah. she is the parent and we do expect more from her um but she's trying to do that so yeah. i mean i, thought I think this was lovely and i think this is what makes her her scared right she's like oh i don't want this i don't mm -hmm. want to have this relationship that he had with his parents with david like i i want to be better so you know mm -hmm. she's trying and then ultimately even though she has she's laying there with like the little thing over her head because i think she has a headache mm -hmm. um i love when david shows up she's like oh my god yes yes we're yeah, doing no, that okay never, right. never mind headache's over <laughs> forget the headache so it's sweet progress mm -hmm. as always as yeah we love to talk about uh david and ruth mm-hmm uh, I guess we saved baby Claire, our sweet angel, yeah, for last. Um, she's still in uh, she's still in Gabe Town. She's yeah, she's deep in it with Gabe. Like, I like, um, I love this from Claire early in the episode when they show up at school and Gabe's worried about pe what people are going to think about him. And she's like, everyone's too obsessed with themselves to worry about anyone else, which is so true. She's so wise. She is so wise. And then she's also uh, similarly, she's like, 
you know, on the other hand, who cares? Everyone is like so worried about what everybody else thinks of mm-hmm. of them all the time. And to your point, it's like no one actually cares. In some cases they do, but you shouldn't waste your time. And I love when they're walking away from the tree. You see her like off, you hear her off camera yell to someone, what are you staring at? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What a good, like best girlfriend ever really. Um, Yeah. yeah, The big, I think that the big, uh, the big, the big scenes for Claire in this episode were with her counselor, who I think is like really good. I'm glad, like, I think she has a good counselor. I was very impressed, like with somebody who's been trained in, um, in therapy and counseling, I always like to see somebody do like a decent job of it and yeah. working with adolescents is really hard. Um, but Claire has this like really wonderful scene where, um, you know, she does like the, you, this is after, I don't even remember the counselor's name but this is like after he's seen her with Gabe and she's lied about whether she's dating anyone and he wants to know why she kept that a secret um and she says like I think he's like an extreme version of me but what he's going through is so much more um but she understands what it's like to have a shadow over her all the time and it's and like when he asks what it is she says it's death and silence and this is like reminded me so much of like the conversation that Ruth has with Angela in um two episodes ago about how um she's never worked in a funeral home that was so sad and that it's like not just the death of it all it's yeah. also this like repression in in the fisher household and um when when the counselor asks about the silence she says she thinks it's sadness or fear my family is so careful that they become invisible um yeah. And we've talked before. It's so profound. It's like she's really, I think she's really hitting on, like, this is why I was like, oh, this is such a good therapy. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, send this, this, because like he's getting her to identify the thing and she doesn't Mm want to talk about this. Like, he's kind of like very gently guided her towards having this conversation. So I think he did just a brilliant job. Um, But like, this is, we've pointed out before that like Ruth and David share much more similarity than like, Claire and Nate who are a little bit more like outwardly expressive but still like that belies a sense of kind of keeping the important stuff hidden and buried and Claire like basically gives voice to that better than I ever had she says I talk so much shit all the time but that's just another way to not say whatever and you know and he says not to say what um and then she tells him that she's like afraid that gabe od'd on purpose and of course like you know that that means it could happen again um and she says like i know that i can't save him i've been to all the websites (laughs) this is so sweet she's like really she's using all her resources she's Mm -hmm. really trying to like get as much information as possible and like what is actually feasible for her to accomplish here? Mm-hmm. And it's so, I mean, this is like that she's afraid of Gabe disappearing. Nate pointed out, maybe this is about dad. When you're always around death, it's hard to get close to anybody because yeah. death is always looming. Um, and the counselor tells her not to make herself invisible. And she says, but this is not about me. And he says, that's not a good start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not here in 
giving Gabe therapy. No, this, but this was tremendous because like, why is Claire so drawn to Gabe? Like, who is this person who is at risk of harming himself? And I do think it's all part, it's all part of this being afraid of the thing and making yourself invisible why is nate driven to unattainable women it's like you know these relationship patterns are often like very revealing of what yeah. are our largest core insecurities about that fear and that sadness um and then you know claire and gabe have that moment where they are you know not really studying math very well and um and you know and she shares with him that she's afraid that he could disappear and he shares that she's afraid that um he's afraid that she's too good for him and she is she's too good for him yeah <laughs> confirmed confirmed <laughs> we already know that yes. uh no i i love that scene um when you know, he says some, she says that very profound thing. And then he kind of like tries to get away with like a nonsense comment. And she's like, no, come on. I, I said my thing. And, you know, then he, he says what he's, what he says. And we all kind of agree. Like, yeah, Gabe, you're onto something. Yeah. <laughs> if you took her. They, but I have to they, point yeah. out, this is right after he says, since when are you such a trick bitch? <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> This is this this is why Claire is too good for him. Right. Because she can get she probably has no interest in trigonometry, but she's so intelligent that she's like, fine, I'll learn this stupid thing so that I can so you know, no offense to Matt, so that I can, you know, teach this idiot boy that I oh love. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Well, they shared this like this vulnerable moment, and this is like emotional crack for Claire. So she's gonna be head over heels for Gabe now forever. Um, it's like, yeah. oh my God, emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy. <laughs> what are you? Um, uh, but I do just want to briefly touch on the on the counselor again, because I think you're spot on. Like there's something like so, uh, it's frankly like, so, it, it's really nice to see that it's possible to have, mm -hmm. like, especially at that level. And, you know, like, unfortunately, so many instances of, uh, you know, school teachers being underpaid and, and budget cuts yeah. and who knows if there are even these kinds of counselors anymore. But um, I was really lucky when I was in high school. And this is part of why I one of the many reasons that I love Claire so much. And she was always like my favorite character when I was first watching this of like I was going through a tough time in high school for a lot of different reasons. And I was I talked to a teacher, you know, after class and and she uh, she's so, so sweetly said to me she was like you know it, it sounds like you're just um like maybe a little bit depressed and that you can and that you should like talk to someone and she sent me to this she ref she recommended this organization that i then went and sought out that was like free counseling for kids mm. um you know all these different resources that i that it was this place called the door that i'm not even sure still exists unfortunately but um it was like it was a lifeline for me, like Aww. to have someone that I could talk to who heard me and understood me and like was not judging and just I felt like just wanted to help me was like it. it I feel like it, it changed my life probably in a way. And or it's, I certainly got to where I wanted to get ultimately a lot faster, even though I didn't know it at the time. And I'm like so, so grateful to that teacher, to that organization, like it's such a crazy time in kids' lives. And like for, for kids to feel like they have that resources is, is like really important. And I don't speak from, obviously I'm not trained in any way, but I have a lot of experience in, in therapy mm -hmm. and to like really see Claire 
feel like she's being heard and understood and, and, you know, get that compassion. Mm -hmm. it, it was, it was really, really nice to see that for Claire. Cause we don't see that a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that Ariel. We're sharing so much emotional vulnerability <laughs> in this episode. I feel like we're going to delete all of this. <laughs> This is only for the $75 patrons. Right. Um, but um, yeah, no, the, the counselor does a good job of being very gentle and validating, but also like pushing a little bit for Claire to actually yeah, go, right. go to make the realizations that she needs to make. So um, I thought that it was like brilliant, masterful work. Um, just like we always do here on the Six Feet we Under Recap. Try. We don't always, but we're like Ruth and David. Mm, we're always yes, trying. We're, we're trying. always trying. Oh my gosh. Am Nate I, is am never, I Ruth? Nate is am never I Ruth trying. And you're David? Ariel? Oh God. No, I didn't even mean it like that. But I mean, I guess. But I meant more like <laughs> Nate is never trying. Like Nate no. is so like blissfully unaware of anything. Mm -hmm. And Claire is. You know, I feel like in a way, there's a way that we both like identify with Claire mm -hmm. more, but I think in our journey as podcasters, maybe we're more like David and Ruth. I don't know. Oh my goodness. Next Halloween. I'll be Ruth and you can be Oh, David. okay. That sounds good. <laughs> I look better in a suit anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Ruth's flowers uh, diploma. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Is there anything else? I think I think we covered this episode. Wow, it's the finale of season one next no, week, Ariel. I'm so sad, but also I'm excited because I don't remember what the hell happens. <laughs> it's going to be such a new experience for yeah. me. Just like rediscovering the smell of flowers. Um, what? Yeah. Where can uh, people keep up with everything else that you're doing, Ariel? What do you have going on right now? I am so happy uh, to be home right now and not be and not be drinking in New Orleans. <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter at that other Ariel always trying to retweet everything that I'm involved in. I'm covering movies every week with Grace, the aforementioned on Pusher Recaps Theater. We cover new movies, not old movies. No offense to old movies, which I love. Uh, but, you know, we're trying to keep people informed of like, what's up with the box office and the hits? Mm -hmm. And it's not all just you know taylor swift there are other movies out there um <clears throat> i'm trying to think if there's anything else i think that's mostly everything there's some upcoming stuff but uh, what about you um i am talking with grace every week about the curse having a great time doing that on post show recaps and as always you can follow everything i have going on on twitter where i am at dr amanda r and Ariel, you and I will be back in a few days to yeah. talk about Six Feet Under Season 1, Episode 13, the Season 1 finale, which is called Knock Knock. Knock Knock. Oh, I do just want to say very quickly, Miss. I looked up, because I was like, Demas? Um, I looked up the guidance counselor's name. I was like, why is Gabriel Demas' name coming up? Because that's, his that's name is Gary Dietman. His oh. name is Gary Dietman. No, I, I was in trying to remember his name. I remembered it being similar, and it, oh. it kind of was. So shouts to, Shout shouts to Mr. Dietman. Mr. Dietman doing a great job. We'll be doing a great job when we recap this season finale. And until then, dear listeners, rest in
Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.